Well, hello, everyone. Good evening. Welcome to Word for Now. We're trusting the Lord Jesus for an outbreak of his presence during this time and even a, a deeper understanding of his workings in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. Hallelujah. I want to say welcome to everyone that's here. Hope you've had a great weekend so far. I think um, off to a great start. Good morning, everyone. Hello, my name is Francis Seabor. I am Pastor Francis Seabor's son. I'm Pastor Chinere Seabor's son also. And I want to welcome everyone to Word for Now. This is our Crystal Rivers expression that takes place every Monday evening from 8 p.m. Give me one second. Give me one second here. Okay, all right, I think we're back. Gonna hit record again. And hello. Okay, so um, welcome everyone. Hope you all had a great weekend. Um, mine was, how will I describe my weekend? Very, I'll say energizing, edifying in many ways. Ooh, who was, who was around for PHB or who saw PHB last weekend? That was really powerful. There were so many incredible um, wisdom nuggets that were dropped. I encourage you to get the message. I posted it on our Telegram group. Tell us the kingdom within, Papa ministered. It was amazing. Um, please get it if you can. Um, yep, give a few random announcements. We have upcoming, um, I think I posted this before. Kingdom Prime Women will be coming up. Um, in about a week, is it a few days from now? Two days? In two days. <laughs> it was a week last week. But in two days, we'll be having our Kingdom Praying Women um, taking place from 10 a.m. till 1 p.m. So it's going to be like just basically intercession for about three hours. That's, um, yeah, that's pretty, pretty brief. And the goal is just to make sure that we're keeping watch. Hallelujah. Then uh, we next week, next week, not next weekend. Well, next weekend, sorry. Next weekend, we have our... Jesus only leadership and prayer retreat. And um, y'all know the drill. We're going to be spending time with the Lord for three days. Uh, well, technically it's two days, but because we start 11 p.m. on Friday, kind of counts as three. So anyways, welcome. Okay, so quick recap of last week. Um, last week we explained that God's kingdom is genetic when it's internal. And then... Um, I'm using all these things to capture themes um, that were presented to us during our recently concluded conference. I'm talking about our Yahweh to face um, prophetic conference that there was a season that we just um, concluded. Let me see if I can get the flyer going Put that on the screen real quick. Yep, yep, yep. If you remember the themes that were expressed during that time, um, basically things along this, uh, the lines of seeds, reproduction, and the tree of life. Obviously, that was the theme. And um, these themes 
are not just being expressed for the sake of expressing something new in the scriptures. There's an emphasis of the spirit of God right now on heritage, on inheritance, on genealogy. And that's because of the dominion mandate. For us to come into the dominion mandate that God has for us in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, which is let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion. Essentially, God wants to give you dominion right now. But when dominion is, is hitting you, like when God is giving you dominion, it starts off, first of all, by tampering with your DNA. Like when God wants to give you authority, your authority doesn't jump on you while you have rebelling or contradictory DNA. Does that make sense? It's almost like if God wants to give you power, he makes you powerful. Does that make sense? He doesn't just give you power. He makes you powerful. So God will give you a gun. He makes you the gun. Does that, does that make sense? And he makes you that weapon of mass destruction. He doesn't just empower you. He endows you. He makes you the tool to accomplish the purpose. In fact, that's a major theme we want to express today because whenever God wants to do anything, you know, um, to be honest with you, God has one agenda. Amen. But because of how detailed God is, and to be honest with you, this is a characteristic of every single spirit. Every spirit is very detailed and nuanced and they're not, they don't play around and mix words. They are specific. Um, they are targeted. They are focused on one specific objective, often captured in the scriptures as a testament or the testimony of that spirit or the confession of that spirit. There is one thing they've come to bear witness to. And what you're going to find is that that spirit and all creatures under its dominion all creatures um, in its, um, yeah, you know, like usually like higher ranking um, angels, they would have many other angels below them. All of them are fully submitted to the cause of the leading head, right? That's what happened with Satan. When Satan fell, all of the angels that were under his control, they all fell with him. There's this a very famous um, story of how Satan took a third of the angels. Hallelujah. If you study, if you understand how the, the, the heavens, according to the scriptures, the way the heavens are structured and the way God does things, you see that it's completely impossible. It's not possible for Satan to have taken a third of the angels. It's just not possible. That's one. Two, the scriptures that's a reference where you know where we pulled that from is Revelation chapter 12. It's actually referencing a future event. Amen. Not a past event. And number three, because the time when um the, the warfare between Michael and Lucifer happens ha will happen, hasn't happened yet, right? Um, there was no warfare between uh, Michael and Lucifer in heaven, according to the scriptures. That hasn't happened yet. That is yet to happen. When Satan disobeyed God, he died. There was no fight between him and God. God doesn't. You, you, when you read the prophetic oracles in Ezekiel or in Isaiah chapter 14, it creates this impression that God is furious and angry at the devil. And you, you have very good reason to believe so. But make no mistake in, in understanding um, the fact that when any creature rebels against God, their judgment has passed swiftly. In fact, the only reason why Satan has any jurisdiction right now is because darkness exists in, in this present age. There is room for darkness. Remember the, um, Genesis chapter 1? The Bible says, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. That darkness is not evil. Amen? I'm going to say it again. The darkness of Genesis chapter 1 is not evil. That darkness is simply the absence of God's manifest presence. I'm going to say that again. In Genesis chapter one, you have something called darkness and that darkness is not evil. It is quite simply the absence of God's manifest presence. Does everyone get that? Does everyone understand that? So basically in Genesis chapter one, the Bible is saying here, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and God's presence wasn't manifest. Does that make sense? Now God can be present, but his presence is not manifest. Hallelujah. I'm sure every one of us knows 
this personally your Christian walk, right? There's many times that God is wor at work in your life. Let's open that portion of scripture, take a look and see. Um, this is Genesis chapter one um, from verse one. So you people don't think I'm lying. Boy, eh? Some big stories, stories. Hallelujah. Because that's what everyone here sounds like, right? God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the spirits of God moved upon the face of the waters. Amen? The spirits of God. Now, when you read here about the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, you might think here, this is, um, I've heard it's explained before that this is when Satan fell. I don't subscribe to that belief system. It doesn't mean it's wrong. I just don't subscribe to that. And then that's the reason why I'm saying this is because I have what I believe to be. Um, um, I feel the Lord has given me understanding of some of these scriptures here, or at least I've, in a specific, in a specific um, narrative, the Lord has exposed me to. There seems to be wisdom that exposes that this at this point here in scripture, this thing here referred to as the formless void is not a state of evil. But it's a state where something has been created, but it hasn't taken on shape or form yet. We see this with Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 1, you're going to see a lot of things that were created, but they were never given any form. You will see, for example, Adam and Eve were created in Genesis chapter 1. They were not given a form until Genesis chapter 2, where you see, has anyone ever noticed that before in the book of Genesis? Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, they seem to have two. If, if you don't read carefully, you think that there were two times that God made man, but that's not true. God created a man, man in Genesis chapter one. And in chapter two, the Lord, Yahweh, formed man of the dust of the ground. And there's a reason for that distinction. If you check Genesis chapter one, you're going to see God, 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 God. That's Elohim, 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 Elohim. That's the creator functioning as almost a strict set of rules. Whenever you see God um, explicitly mentioned in Genesis, especially in an earlier portion of scripture, I'm going to reference, I'm going to say this again, okay? Whenever you see God, in the earlier portions of scripture genesis you usually and when i say god just the term god alone to refer to almighty god and not yahweh or lord when you see him showing up showing up as god you're seeing him laying down blueprints laws right almost um he seems merciless in many ways because of how strict and um um to the t the precision of almighty god basically god is just exposing or we or, or doing things He's laying things down. That's the best way of saying it, right? And he's laying them down um, almost without any personality. Does that make sense? Like God has this blueprint and he's bringing it out. He's bringing it out irrespective of the consequences. That's God, right? But when you're seeing God revealing himself relationally, emotionally, wanting to establish contact, show mercy, compassion, bond, interact, you see him show up as Lord, as Yahweh. You see this in chapter two. You see that God creates Yahweh forms hallelujah so in genesis chapter one you're going to see elohim almighty god creating things amen now when he creates things very few of them take on shape and form i explained that with adam and eve right they never took on form until chapter two in fact in genesis chapter one you see that adam and eve were both created at the same time but in chapter two they both took on form and shape in both different ways and at different times everyone knows this right I'm not, I'm not committing any, there's no sacrilege or blasphemy here, right? If you, if you disagree with me, hallelujah. Anyways, <laughs> so that is a narrative you find in the scriptures, amen? And you're going to see this all throughout. You're going to see God saying, let there be plants in Genesis chapter one, let there be herbs and, and trees and all these different things, but you don't see any herbs on the earth 
until chapter 2. Amen? You don't see any trees on the earth. Amen? Later on, you see that God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Amen? And all of these things I'm pointing at here is to establish this, this narrative I'm trying to hit here hard on the head, which is that this formless void is not evil. It simply means that when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was not yet physical or tangible. Amen? And darkness was upon the face of the deep. That darkness is not evil also. It is simply the absence of the manifest presence of God. God's presence is not manifest until chapter 3 when God said, let there be light. And there was light. Hallelujah. <sighs> Amen. Now you're seeing, you're seeing, um, later on the Bible now says that God divided that light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness he called light. Amen. Sorry. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Amen. You see this in Genesis chapter one. Let's take a look real quick and see that from verse, um, let's see here, verse five. The Bible says, that, oh, let's start from verse three. God said, let there be light and there was light. Verse four, God saw the light and the light was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Who is having difficulty understanding what I'm saying? Can you just signal to me? I'm going to keep on talking. But if you have difficulty understanding what I am saying, please let me know. Okay. Now, when you read here that God called the light day and the darkness he called night, this is not just meant to happen on the earth, on the earth alone. Amen. If you jump real quick to Revelation chapter 4, you will discover that in Revelation chapter 4, the Bible makes references to days and nights, even in the heavenlies. Amen. We're going to read about um, these creatures called the cherubim, right? From verse 8, it says here, each of these four living beings, the cherubim, had six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rested not day and night, saying, so in the heavenlies also there is day and there is night. This, this you know, reinforces the things I've said before about how when God created the heavens and the earth, days and nights were not led by the, you know, the supposed revolution of the earth around the sun, right? Or the rotation of the earth along its axis, right? These things were instead dictated according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, that the ages, times, and seasons were framed by the word of God. And you literally see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, when the Bible says that when God spoke, amen, let there be light, there was light. And the Bible says that God called that light day. So the days come out of God's mouth. Does that make sense? Or let me say like this, the days are framed by the word of God. Amen. This is actually how heaven is run, by the speakings of God. So when God has spoken, or when God reveals or expresses or communicates, then it's daytime. Does that make sense? So when the Bible says that darkness was upon the face of the deep, it simply means that God had not yet spoken. Does that make sense? That's what darkness means, the absence of God's voice. Amen? It doesn't mean that there's evil there. No, no, no. Evil can take the place of darkness, which is what we're getting at here. Amen? If you read the book of Jude, chapter 1, the Bible says in the book of Jude, chapter 1, from verse 6, the Bible makes reference to angels who did not keep their first estate, but left their own habitation. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. The Bible is saying here 
that when the judgment of, 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 against sin was released, it wasn't like God said that he made any declaration per se. Those declarations were built into creation. If you, if you jump off a cliff, God doesn't have to curse you. Your legs will be broken. It's not because God said, when you hit the ground, your legs will break. I curse you for jumping off, off this cliff. God doesn't have to do that, right? God doesn't have to punish you for disobeying laws that he's put in place, right? If you, for example, if you, if you um, excessively, if you eat excessively, if you're not, if you're, if you practice gluttony, amen? God is not going to punish you with obesity, amen? <laughs> Does that make sense? These things are the consequences of our actions. If you, the Bible says, the soul that sins, that soul shall die. Not because God is trying to punish you, that's just how creation works, amen? So, Basically, the only place that Satan has a right to dwell in is the realm of darkness. Hallelujah. And that is what you see, amen? Um, 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 basically, whenever you see Satan enforcing anything, he can only do that in this present age because in this present age, there are days and there are nights. In other words, God's, God's expression is not continuous. God's expression is broken down into times and seasons, Amen. But in New Jerusalem, in the city of God, or in the community of believers that look like Jesus, the Bible says, in that community, there is no night there. In that community, um, um, the, day, the gates are open all the time. There is no need of the sun or the moon, for the Lord is a temple and a light source. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that before in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22. Amen? Basically, the Bible is saying here is that God's voice is flowing continuously. Amen? God's presence is ever manifest. His manifest presence is now spread out everywhere, being enforced by human beings who are driving God's agenda into all of creation. This is our mandate, beloved. This is what dominion looks like. Amen. We are meant to bring light, okay, into the darkness as well. That is what we're called to do as believers. We're meant to bring so much light into the days that we also bring light into the night seasons. Amen. And we can see that in several scriptures, right? The Bible says, in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, that we are not of the night. Let the, those who are of the night, they sleep at night, right? But we who are of the day, we should not sleep even at night, according to Ephesians chapter 5, if you've ever read that before. Hallelujah. So what, what am I hammering at here? What am I trying to get at here? I'm trying to get he, here, at, get at this truth expressed in the scriptures, which is this. Almighty God's dominion, when he's giving his dominion to, when he's giving his kingdom to us, it first of all manifests as genet a genetic re re reconfiguring, right? Uh, we, we, we change our estate, right? We change our heritage, our ancestry, our DNA, with the end goal that we'll be able to accomplish what that dominion is being given up to us to do. Does that make sense? That's how God delegates. God de if God wants to delegate to this computer now the ability to cook, amen? He's not just going to install the software for it to cook. He's going to make this thing. He's going to fit it with all the tools it needs to be able to cook. And the further along the line of cooking it gets, it goes on. You see cooking abilities, okay? That's unnecessary for that point in time to get to manifest. You see this in things like puberty and things like the de development of, of a fetus in the womb um, and, and different stages of development in everyone's, you know, in your, in your biological, like your physical life. You see all these stages of development. At this age, this happens. This age, this happens. This age, this happens. All of these things are almost cued and triggered responses that are captured in your DNA, in your book. We've said, we've explained that you know, last week that all of your days are written in God's book. That's a, that's a plug 
or pulling straight out of Psalms 139. Well, looking at Psalms 139 from verse, uh, let's see here, from verse 15. Let's take a look real quick. All right. My substance was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and intricately wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes did see my substance being yet, yes, yet being imperfect. And in your book, all my members were written, which in continuity were fashioned when as yet there were none of them. If I read this in the, in the New King James, this is what it says. Yes. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Hallelujah. What is the Bible talking about here? The Bible is showing us how, um, um, before you were born, amen, your books, amen, before you were, you were, you were conceived, amen, there is a volume of things that were written concerning you all of your days. Now, if we go back to what we explained in Genesis chapter one about God speaking, right? And then what? That's how there's light, right? And then God called the light day. That's how days come forth from the speakings of God. We can therefore say that your days are meant to be captured, amen, as the speakings of God. Does all this make sense? Basically, each day of my life is meant to be dictated by the speakings of God. But you just love how this, um, this meeting is called Word for Now. Ha, ha, ha. What a plug, right? Word for Now. Amen. The what is God saying now? What is God saying today? Amen. We're, as believers, we're meant to live by that daily bread of the speakings of God for right now. Hallelujah. And the speakings of God for right now are meant to capture the seasons, all right, the seasons of our lives. Now, I'm talking about like the agenda of God, the, the speakings of God, the, the plan of God, the will of God, the will of God because of the scale by which God governs all of creation. It's vast. It's huge, right? But it, it has a focus. By the same time, in order to accomplish that one focus, the will of God has all these intricacies and all these contingencies and all of these resources and provisions with the intent that everything necessary to achieve that purpose is captured in his will. Does that make sense? So for example, let's say I want to go buy food from the supermarket. The will of God, okay, let's say um, I'm functioning as almighty God going to go buy food from the supermarket. I am going to, the desire for me to go buy food from the supermarket means I'm going to get a vehicle to get there somehow some kind of protection while I'm on my way, making sure I can arrive there safely, the funds, you know, the ability to find what I'm looking for, then the funds also to pay, legal tender, whatever that is, and then a safe return back here, all right? The will of God will cover all of that. Does all this make sense? In God's will is all, is all of these provisions and all the tasks and then subtasks and all the different phases of each of these tasks. And then all and on, as we keep on going through, you know, we keep on going through all the different subcategories and different taxonomies of, of, of the agenda of God. What I'm trying to say here is that God's will captures every single thing that should be happening in reality. Amen. Now, as, as far as we are concerned, as we as individuals are concerned, because yeah, I didn't want to go here. Maybe I should go here. Hallelujah. Amen. Who is ready for an interesting um, heavenly drama? Anyone? Let's see if anyone's paying attention. 
No one. Okay, fair enough. Hallelujah. We'll just keep it. Okay, someone says yes. Okay, friends of David says yes. Okay. Okay, Mr. Renita says yes. Okay, cool. All right. All right. Ms. Blessing. All right, cool. Great, great. Okay, cool. Okay, so I have some shoot. All right, let's go. So I'm going to propose to you. I, I was, I'm sharing some of this with my dad um, last, last, uh, oh, digging your family. Yay. <laughs> last, uh, last weekend on Saturday after PHP. When you look at, and I'm just going to, I'm going to speak first of all, and it's going to seem like I'm just making all this stuff up, but as time goes on, I'll begin to show you scriptures that reinforce everything I'm saying. When you look at the scriptures, amen, and you look at the heavenlies, amen, there's this thought process we have in our heads that in the, in the heavens, um, you have heaven and it's this, there's this big city, right? And this, let's say the city is like about the size of Lagos. That's about how big we think heaven is, Amen. I'm speaking like this because we don't have a lot of context for the vastness of the heavenlies. Amen. So you have, we have in our imagination, this picture of heaven as this, maybe heaven is like, let's say heaven is, uh, let's see now, where in Lagos? let's say heaven is Ikoi. No, let's say heaven is Lagos. Amen. Oh, that's, even, that's even too big for many of us. We can't even, because some places to go from one place to another in Lagos, you can take, spend hours. We don't have con those kind of concepts in our head, really. Right. What we have is that what we think in our, our minds is that if we're going to heaven, it's the throne room, then maybe the music room, the, the weapons room, the body parts room. What else? The music room. I always said music room, the construction room, the finances room. What else? The library of God. And then once you've gone through all the different things that our mind you know, has context for from what we've seen on the earth, there's nothing else in heaven now. Well, what, else, what else is God doing there? There's no video game in heaven, so there's no video game room. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> if you study the scriptures, amen, you will see that there are entities with might capable of demolishing entire races of people with one, with one strike. <clears throat> you have some angels described in the scriptures that they're able to take out like an, enti an entire human race. With one strike. Who knows what I'm saying? The angel of death in the book of um, Exodus chapter, I can't remember what chapter in Exodus, I think chapter 10, 11 or 12. Who remembers that angel of death, the, the, the angel of death that um, he struck? And when he struck, it tampered with everyone in Egypt that did not have blood on their doors. Everyone remember that narrative? Hey, uh, hallelujah. Okay, good. Okay. Please, you have to be responding. Amen. Just be on your, just be ready to respond. Amen. When you have creatures of that, of that, um, <laughs> how do you govern such entities? That's, that's what I want to get in mind here. I'm saying, why, I'm saying this because those entities are not directly governed by God per se. In fact, almost all of the interactions you see in the book of Exodus, amen, were not even inter interactions from Almighty God himself directly. Amen? We remember, that's good, okay? You're going to see that when God appeared to Moses, he came as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he appeared to, to Moses with the intent of revealing another facet of his personality that he had never revealed to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before. When he revealed himself to, to them as Yahweh, the God of the nation of Israel. God revealed himself personally to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but never as a, a national deity, but more as a personal, intimate friend, right? We, we see this in the scriptures that Abraham was God's friend, right? In the hopes of achieving this, you see that in the scriptures, whenever God wants to reveal himself in, in different ways, 
God's unique revelations in this present age are currently stewarded by angelic princes. Amen. And what these creatures do is that they manage, or let me say they manage, they, they are messengers. They bring forth that revelation of God's word to us. And when they bring them forth, they don't bring them forth as here is a message. They themselves, amen, that message is almost ingrained in them. That's what they're called messengers. They're, for lack of better words, they are the message. Does that make sense? When an angel comes to minister what God is saying to you, he's actually ministering something that is built inside of him, that is meant to unlock inside of you God's word. Does that make sense? And that, you know, key in the key chamber mechanism thing, you know, thing I got to set up there is actually what the entire, entire angelic strata is meant for in this present age. In the next age, we're going to see them function in a completely different way. Hallelujah. In this present age, many of these entities that, you know, we see in the scriptures as bringing messages. Amen. Many of them are actually submitted to um, even more powerful governing entities and creatures in the heavenlies. You know, we... <sighs> Heaven is not a village. I think this has to be understood. Heaven is not a city. Heaven is not a country. Heaven is not a nation. Heaven is not a planet. Heaven is not a galaxy. Heaven is not a star system. Heaven is not a star cluster. Heaven is not even a local group. Local groups are... So basically you have planets, according to like what it teaches us in you know, science or whatever. You have planets, right? And you have many planets revolving around a star as a star system. And you have many stars orbiting, you know, together or close to each other. Um, it's like star clusters. And all of these together, um, you know, governed by gravity or driven by gravity, they form um, um, star systems. They form galaxies. There we go. Um, our galaxy is called the Milky Way. Our star system is called the solar system. Okay. Then from these um, um, star systems, sorry, from these um, galaxies, you have many of them revolving around each other, and they form um, things called neighborhoods or local groups, right? Where you'd have these um, galactic systems that are in close proximity to each other that influence each other. Um, the gravity between them influences each other. And they are close enough to each other for that influence to be strong enough to keep them together, but far away enough from other ones that their influence is not as strong on them as, as, as theirs is. And because of properties of light, and electromagnetic radiation, they form almost like event, like a horizon, as far as like what is called what we refer to as the observable universe. Okay, I'm just giving you like scientific hoopla here. Amen. Now, why am I saying all these things to impress you? I hope not. Amen. <laughs> to show you that the heavenlies are more vast than all of these things. Please hear me when I say this. Heaven is more vast than what we think it is. Amen. So let me ask you a question now. What do you think is happening there? Let's say you land on one of, of the systems, okay? That is being administered, administrated, sorry, by a governing entity in the heavenlies. Amen. Are they just singing there? Who knows what I'm saying? What we can capture with our human mind. Thank you, right? We, we need to, as believers, this is why believers, you know, when we don't exercise ourselves in engaging the scriptures, we'll end up being lazy. 
But look at people in the world. Go and watch these movies, these Marvel movies. Go and watch movies by Christopher Nolan, where he talks about moving forward and backwards in time. Movies like Telnet, movies like Interstellar. I'm not telling you to watch them, really, to go watch them. I'm just telling you, to, I'm just trying to invite you into the into the into the place of exercising yourself, exercising your your mind, amen, in engaging the scriptures and actually holding the scriptures and seeing that what is being said here is not just poetry. You know, poetry, you can be like, oh, love is, you know, love is that, um, love, love is not tangible. Love is, is, is distance beyond the horizon. You know, we say all these nice poetic words, but we don't investigate these things. Like we, we just, we go a little, we exercise a little bit, then we kind of like, sh- you know, shy away from going all the way. God invites us to worship him with understanding according to the scriptures. What I'm trying to say here is this. Get scriptures about the heavenlies and begin to, yes, creative imagination, thank you. Begin to establish or build for yourself a worldview based on the scriptures. And let that worldview, don't limit it by your current understanding of the scriptures. Let the scriptures themselves speak for you. Let them speak for themselves. So when, for example, now the Bible talks about the throne of God or the heavenlies, amen? And God's, you know, ruling over things in the heights, amen? Don't, don't limit yourself. Don't limit God. Don't limit the heavenlies, amen? To maybe a few thousand meters above or a few kilometers above. Is everyone listening? Amen? Because you're speaking about, about if you read the book of Revelation, you have angels, amen? That are the size of the sun. There's one angel clothed with the sun, according to the scriptures. You know how big that is, one entity. I can assure you there are other angels of that class, many of them. Is everyone listening? There's some other angels, amen, that they are able to direct, um, whatchamacallit, um, constellations, instruct them, guide them. The question is, the, the, their peers and their colleagues, where, where are they being hosted? Where, where do they call home? How do, what, what do their meetings look like? When, when, they are, when they are moving, when they are moving on different, different directions or different places, where are they hosting? I'm trying to give you an idea of like, you know, so we can broaden our perspective of the heavenly, some of these things and, and not, not allow religious tradition of when we go to heaven, we'll be floating on clouds and playing harps and then we'll be singing worship songs and then, oh, and then this big city made of gold. You know, some of these very, very, you know, you're, you're limiting, so basically the Hebrew, writers that encountered these realities in the heavenlies they wrote about these things prophetically in other words symbolically using prophetic language or codes that are meant to be decoded as a you know uh, um through encounters with the things that they're talking about does that make sense so you see them talking about things like it's made of gold or, or like for example on book of revelation talks about the streets of gold in um new jerusalem if you investigate that scripture properly you know that they're not talking about physical streets of gold there are no streets of gold in heaven. Is everyone listening? No, no, no. You can, I understand having encounters. I've, I've, I've had gold dust physically on my physical body. I, I've had experiences in, in places that I don't have words to describe fully. That's the truth. Amen? And I, I'm not saying that these things are not real. I want to explain something. Many of our prophetic experiences, amen, is the Holy Spirit interpreting, amen, things that are beyond our understanding or comprehension in a way that we can understand them or experience them. The things that happen in the heavenlies are far beyond words. I'm gonna give you some scriptural context for what I'm saying here. I'm gonna open up to Numbers 
chapter 12. Okay, let's take a look real quick at Numbers chapter 12. We're going to jump to a specific portion of this scripture here. Let's start from verse, um, let's see here, from verse 5. God summons, you are beautiful beyond description. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He uses what we can use to communicate with us. Yes, he speaks our language. And sometimes you can, you can tell that they are crossing the threshold of what human language can afford. So you see them see some things like the, the beast, the, it was like, it was to look upon like unto a lion or like unto an eagle or like unto a man. Does, does that make sense? Let's look here. God came down the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam and he, and he both went forward and he said to them, hear now my words, if there is a prophet among you, I the Lord will make him, myself known to him in a vision and I speak to him in a dream. Please understand. I've, I've had visions before. I've had encounters before. I've been to places that if most people will call the Garden of Eden. Is everyone listening? Like I've been to these places like, and I've been there. Is everyone listening? That doesn't mean that I was in the Garden of Eden per se. Is everyone listening? I'm trying to get, I'm trying to nail something on the head. It doesn't mean that the Garden of Eden, sorry, is a, is a place, is a, is a physical garden. That's what I was trying to say. It is a place, yes. It's actually a state of being, but anyways. But yes, um, it's not really a garden garden per se. Is everyone listening? Let's keep this going, okay? I will make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. Now, please listen, okay? God is saying that prophetically, through prophetic giftings, I can reveal myself in visions and in dreams. Now, just hold that thought and look at verse 7. But not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. Now, the house of God captured here is not the tabernacle. Amen. The house of God that God is talking about here is actually Moses himself. God was saying that he's found a resting place in Moses. And Moses is, was faithful in making sure that God was comfortable inside of him. Basically, Moses, God was saying here that Moses was faithful in his house. The house of God being Moses' soul. Is everyone listening? Okay. Um, someone says that I thought Old Testament saints didn't have God living on the inside of them. Um, God lived inside of Old Testament saints by his word. You can see that in the book of um, 1 Peter chapter, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. Sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, the Bible says that the spirit of Christ that was in them did testify of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. 1 Peter chapter 1, okay? I can show that to us, but that's, I don't waste time. I don't want to burn time, sorry. Not waste it. But not with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all of my house. Moses' faithfulness in the house of God, in his soul, did something. Look what God said, okay? I speak with him face to face. That's right. I speak, he spoke with Moses face to face, yes. Even plainly and not in dark sayings, he sees the actual form of the Lord. Now, when you hear this, you think, Kai, Moses has seen God's face. And we think in our mind, it says this thing, two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and ears. Hallelujah. No, no, no. When Moses has his own encounters, they are not being interpreted prophetically to him. Is everyone listening? Moses doesn't need that interpretation to be able to interact with spiritual things. Moses interacts with these things expressly. Is everyone listening? When we, I've, I've met, I'm just gonna say something, okay? I've had encounters with Cherubim before, with Seraphim before, amen? When I met all these creatures, I know I did not actually meet them the way Moses met them. Is everyone listening? I'll explain what I'm saying. There's the times I'll go on like an extended, I'll go on some, you know, spend some time in prayer. 
maybe on a fast, okay? And I'll spend some, and I'll encounter maybe a spiritual entity. Upon having this encounter, amen, many times there's a lot of energy that hits you. Is everyone listening? Now, I know that many times there is a dampening of the energy that hits you whenever you have these encounters. The reason for that dampening is so that is because you're usually encountering them through a prophetic gifting. Is everyone listening? Prophetic giftings are not bad. They, are, they give you experiences far beyond your faithfulness. Is everyone listening? Moses, who is faithful, was able to experience things expressly. But people who are not faithful, they experience things prophetically. Now, because the children of Israel, they refused to be faithful like Moses was, when Moses wrote the scripture to them, he also darkened the scriptures. The darkening is when Moses put the veil. Remember what the Bible says in the book of um, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3? That Moses puts a veil on his face and he puts a veil on their hearts. How did he do that? When he was writing his experiences, he wrote them out prophetically. He could not bring them out in, his, in their true form. And you see that even right here. God said, I will speak plainly to Moses, not in dark sayings. In other words, when God speaks to prophets, he speaks how? In dark sayings. Is everyone listening? In symbols. Please, let me, let me say something, okay? To be able to see these things expressly, you must be addicted to God. I know what I'm saying. I've heard some men of God I really admire, and they tell me, well, I, I don't tell me personally, but I hear them talk about these things, and they just wonder, who was this man Moses? This man Moses must have damaged himself, as he must have spoiled himself for God. He must have wounded himself for God. I don't know, I don't know how we, we're trusting God that we get there, because according to our seven-year timeline, we're meant to come into this, right? Our seven-year timeline of coming into the, um, the stature of, of Moses, Kenneth Hagin, and John the Baptist, the prophetic word that we received during the Watchman Prophetic Conference, amen? We're meant to come into these over the seven-year period. That means that our hunger has to be mad, mad. You know what the Bible says about Moses? The Bible says that when God descended on Mount Sinai, everyone would be Holy Ghost, right? Yes, yes. Actually, as a prayer, all revivalists, they ask the Lord to please bruise them. Basically, there's a measure of of exposure to God that is beyond a specific threshold. When you hit that thing, an unusual appetite for God just awakens on the inside of you. And when that thing happens, that wound is kind of like, you know how when people get, um, get traumatized by rape and they start having sex like mindlessly or, or something, something traumatizes them and they are not able to control themselves anymore because of that trauma. Maybe someone was horribly wounded as a child like emotionally and because of that they have anger issues they can't help themselves there's there's the god version of that thing there's some encounters with god that you would have those encounters will smite you that wound begins to speak and it speaks as hunger appetite ferocious appetite for god i don't you know i'm trusting god that will come into this all of us not just individuals amen but i mean one by one god will be knocking us all out one by one amen but because of what happened to moses he was able to relate with God at a ferocious intensity. Now, that ferocious intensity is not like God will take the veil away per se. Uh -uh. The veils, hallelujah. I explained this during Melchizedek school a few, a few weeks ago. When the scriptures explain veils, is this similar to Jacob's hip? This is beautiful, yes. That's a beautiful analogy right there, yes. Man, Jacob's story, man. I'm listening to Bible Project today. Oh my gosh, this Bible is, 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 is crazy. I don't know who wrote this book. 
It is just insane. Like, I, I'm just discovering things that I don't even have a grade for. When I said I have a grade for, the Bible is just mad. As in, everything in this book was, is so, you know when you think you've discovered something in God, and then they just open another chapter, and you just see how you don't know anything at all. That's what happened to me today when I was listening to this podcast. When they're talking about um, anointing, the Mashiach, the, the Christos, the anointed one. Okay. Laser precision, right? Hallelujah. We'll come into this. Amen. Okay. Um, I was talking about Jacob. Yes. Moses came into this. Okay. Now, I was talking about veils. Yes. Veils. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use our narrative from last week. Explain veils. I use that to end today's um, word for now. When you first give your life to Jesus, amen, God's life force enters inside of you and God's life force begins to project Jesus Christ to your soul. Now, that projection that, you know, uh, is released from your spirit, man, and goes through these channels in your soul. We refer to them as the thrones of your soul, the gateways of your heart, the altars of your temple. Amen. We also call your spiritual senses. Amen. And what, what the goal of those projections is to make your soul aware of the new life force inside of you. Amen. That newness of life that is on the inside of you, your spirit man is projecting that thing forcefully. The Bible explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that this projection is so that you may know the things that are freely given to you by God. This is a fierce projection. Now, this fierce projection, okay, as, it's been, as this assault from the life force of God is hitting your soul, your soul's ability to receive from the life force of God is greatly hindered by different cultures, mindsets, ideologies, forms of wisdom, even ways of learning, experiences of the past. That refers to them as strongholds, high things, and knowledges, wisdom, veils, doubts, unbelief systems. What these things they do is that they taper that, that encroachment of the life of God into your soul. They frustrate that encroachment because if that encroachment is allowed to, to hit you the way it should, your entire being will be consumed by God. And in an instant, God would manifest on the earth immediately. Amen? Now, the reason for all of these things, amen, is because Satan is afraid. <laughs> because if that happens, his judgment will happen a lot swifter than it should. Amen? Or that, than he wants it to. Amen? You'll have a right to choose how long it takes in your own personal life. And how, how does that happen? As we take the scriptures, the scriptures are the transcript of God's life force, right? The scriptures are, according to the book of Daniel chapter 10, the scriptures of truth, amen, hallelujah, are a transcript of, of who we are in Christ Jesus. The scriptures, they carry a, tra they're a transcript, um, they have a correspondence with um, who we are in Christ. They, they're like a, yeah, the word, the word transcript of Jesus Christ that we have here on the earth. We use them and we, use, we engage them with our souls with the hopes of breaking those ideologies, breaking those strongholds, breaking those patterns, those thought patterns, those belief systems. The end goal of all of these things is so that those veils will be lifted. That stronghold will be broken. That's those, those spiritual eyes will be enlightened. Is everyone listening? The Ephesians 1 prayer that has my son to be enlightened. That prayer is answered by you engaging the scriptures ferociously. You can pray that prayer all you want. Amen. But if you're not praying that prayer while reading the Bible, while engaging the scriptures, you're not going to arrive at any conclusion that's going to be very tangible. In fact, what would happen if you're sincere in your prayer is that God will begin to prompt you to read the scriptures. Does that make sense? 
I want, let me phrase it like that. If you keep on praying that prayer, what would happen? Like God, and you're praying it sincerely. What would happen? Like the Spirit of God will begin to prompt you to go into the scriptures. And what would happen is that like you begin to find scriptures that will provoke you and you start praying them. Like even praying the Ephesians 1 prayer over and over and over again by itself is actually you engaging a scripture. And as you keep on doing that, what's going to be happening is that that engagement of the scripture will be opening up a, 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 opening up a spiritual sense and making a, 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 a gateway of your heart or a throne of your soul vulnerable to the life force of God in your spirit man. The end goal of this is that you discover that you're finding, you're becoming more and more faithful in the house of God. Is everyone listening? Just like Moses was. Moses' faithfulness was not in cleaning the church, amen, or in giving tithe an offering, as beautiful as all those things are, because they are beautiful and they're very important, amen. But he was faithful in servicing all of the altars of his temple, amen, with the revelation of God that was given to him. Now, as, as, as you continue doing this, amen, what happens is that the encroachment of darkness on the soul begins to wane progressively through different stages. We've explained this before. We use the parable of the sower to, to, you know, to illustrate um, four different stages of the encroachment of darkness and our that gradient of pushing it backwards from the uh, wayside heart to the um, stony heart to the thorny heart to the good heart. Amen? And then even the good heart has different um, textures good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, right? The 30-fold, the 6-fold, the 100-fold. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, at whatever stage of this, these three that you're at, hallelujah, what you're going to experience, amen, is a you're going to be seen through a mirror darkly or dimly. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. Has anyone ever seen that before in 1 Corinthians 13? When Paul said, we see through a mirror or a glass dimly. Let's look at this real quick. Paul said, when I was a child... um no no okay well yes let's look at verse 10 let's let's look at verse 10. when that which is perfect has come then that which is in part will be done away with when i was a child i spoke as a child i understood as a child i thought as a child when i became a man i put away childish things for now we see in a mirror now this mirror is god's word the transcript of who we are in christ but we see this mirror we're seeing ourselves in a mirror dimly. But when we have become adults, remember, he said, I was a child, because a child stood as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. So he's describing that which is perfect coming as development, as maturity. This is what happened to Moses. Moses exercised himself. If you read Hebrews chapter 5, the Bible speaks about the exercise of your spiritual senses. Moses exercised himself. I'm so sorry. Usually I, I try to make this very simple last week and this week I'm like all over the place. I'm so sorry, please, if you're having difficulty, please, I beg you, listen to this message over and over again, alongside last week's message, amen? Please, I am so sorry. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now this dimly is what how prophets see. That is what Paul was saying. Paul was saying that he is seen dimly. Is everyone listening? That's what Paul was saying. Now we see dimly. But Paul knew that there's a place that Moses got to that he had to break into as well. And even Moses knew there's a place that he got to that he needed to, he needed to cross. When Moses was asking God, show me your glory. Remember that portion of scripture? He saw another threshold he had to cross and he wanted to go beyond that. Hmm. But then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I should know just that also as I am known. Let me explain it like this, okay? When you're not seeing things completely as they are, in the natural, you see it, you see things getting darker physically. But the darkness in the spiritual realm doesn't manifest like that. There, there is no actual blackness. 
is everyone listening? There is no actual blackness. Like when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the Bible didn't say that their eyes were closed. The Bible says their eyes were opened. It was showing us something, okay? Which is that when the darker things become, oh dear. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Literal darkness. <laughs> well done for one second. Let me figure out what's going on here. Hallelujah. I think my camera's overheating, but I'm just going to continue like this until when it calms down. So basically, hallelujah, maybe that's my cue to end. <laughs> hallelujah. So I hope everyone understands what I've said so far. Does everyone understand what I've said so far? This man, Moses, broke into faithfulness and as a consequence enlightened his senses. The fruits of this was that he was able to relate with things in their true estate. Hallelujah. The end goal of interacting with things in their truest state was that Moses was able to not just, how do I phrase this now? He wasn't just seeing with his prophetic giftings. Moses was not just encountering things in the heavenlies with his prophetic gifts. Moses's soul was being exposed to the raw voltage of every single thing that he encountered. You know, I will talk about um, exposure I think I spoke about exposure in um, the Watchman Conference last year. And what I was talking about was what Moses came into. Moses had this practice of making himself incredibly vulnerable to God so that whenever God said anything, it did its work expressly on the inside of him. The end goal of this is that Moses was a man that was able to see things raw. When you're able to see heavenly things raw in their true estate, they will not look the same way. I know what I am saying. When John was in Island of Patmos, his encounters, the things that he captured, he was instructed to seal up specific things, right? And not write some things. But everything else was written, even, even, the, even the ones that were not sealed up were written prophetically. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, no worries, no worries. Blessings, blessings. Hallelujah. Hope everyone understands. Why am I saying all of these things, amen? I'm saying all these things because many of the encounters that we have, many of the things that we have, amen, they are actually being interpreted to us by the Holy Spirit despite the veils that darken our understanding. The Holy Spirit is using typologies to communicate, hoping that by continuous engagement, we will come into the full picture. Or let me phrase it like this. Who's ever seen when you're watching YouTube and then when the, your bandwidth is really high, the quality is very, very sharp, right? Very high resolution. But then when the bandwidth drops, the quality drops as well. Has anyone ever had that experience before? If you're in Nigeria, the answer is yes, I'm sure. <laughs> Amen. 
Now, in the natural, like on YouTube, when the quality drops, you're still seeing the same image, right? But then it's just being pixelated, okay? In the spiritual realm, that's not how it plays out. It actually plays out in a completely different way. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The way these things play out is that they play out being symbolic of the realities that you're unable to access because of the low bandwidth. If you increase your bandwidth, you will, you will be able to see things clearer. So what's the Bible saying here? The true form that Moses came into, the true interaction that Moses came into is actually because of incredible bandwidth in his soul. Moses had like broadband, right? 400 megabits per second, right? If you will definitely understand that one, right? <laughs> right? 400 megabits per second, right? Less interaction, 240p. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. Okay. And with 240p, you, you have things like, instead of you experiencing things like Dolby um, 7.1 surround sound with spatial audio, all you experience is maybe mono audio, one channel audio, right? But let's say you now have high resolution, right? A high bandwidth, sorry, a fiber, fiber connection, right? Of 500 megabits per second. What do you get with that? You have like 8K, right? 8K video. You, you have what, uh, um, space, maybe if you have 3D, maybe it's two layer or three layer AK video. You, you have um, 7.1 surround sound by Adobe Digital. You have spatial audio, um, head tracking and different things here and there. Maybe you even have um, um, additional bonus content on, you know, additional layer. There's so much more information that can be communicated to you. And because of this, things don't have to be symbolic anymore. I don't have to tell the story with my mouth. I can show it to you. Is everyone listening? Hallelujah. A beautiful example of this is what's happening right now. I'm over here using my word to be as descriptive as I can using um, this online thing, right? But then if the Lord was to show you these things I'm talking about right now, there's more interaction, 4K, thank you. You're going to find that, even if I was to show it to you with video, right? With using like AIR, some of these tools that we have now available to us, Things are going to be a lot more easily communicated. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to end with this. Hallelujah. God's kingdom, hallelujah, comes through his will that is communicated to us daily through his word. Now, some people are able to interpret God's will accurately. That will call that the perfect will of God. But some people are not able to interpret God's will at all. And they're not even able to hit the good the, or the acceptable will of God. Hallelujah. Dominion demands that we bring forth fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. That is where kingdom is found. Kingdom is not found in the wayside heart. Kingdom is not found in the stony heart. Kingdom is not found in the thorny heart. Kingdom is found in the good heart. Hallelujah. Amen. So sorry, um, we couldn't like continue the way we wanted to. Um, I want to actually figure out what's wrong. I think maybe I have this set to 120 frames per second. Speaking of bandwidth, I'm thinking that's why it overheated. I think I have it set to, yeah, probably was doing some recordings um, early on for a different program I'm doing. And um, I didn't realize I had it still at that high intensity, high frame rate. And so it probably um, overheated because of that. But this is word for now. Tomorrow we have open book. I want to thank everyone here for joining us. Tomorrow we have open book. Pastor Mrs. Chinire Seaborg is going to be live with us, and um, it's going to be a lot of fun. 
And um, tomorrow morning, we have our watches, morning watch at 6 a.m. And at um, 7 a.m., we have our prayer for Nigeria. Don't forget the afternoon watch, which takes place from 2 p.m. till 4 p.m. before we now have our um, open book session, our Crystal Rivers. And upcoming events, don't forget we have Kingdom Praying Women taking place um, this Wednesday from 10 a.m. So look forward to that. And so that's the day after open book, right? And we have our March edition of Jesus Only um, Leadership and Prayer Retreat taking place um, um, next week from Friday. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for joining us, beloved. Apologies for the video that got burnt out towards the end. This is Word for Now. Chris Rivers and Pastor Francis Hebert sends love and his greetings. Have a good night, beloved. Bye-bye.